you know, very small groups of people can prototype their best answers to the problems by through practical work, through through seeing that, you know, you, I don't think that greatness is found in, you know, going off and doing fantastic things. Where the really the, be- the most beautiful battles are, where the real victories are to be won, it is in, in the mess of our ordinary life. I mean, that's, sure. that's what needs to change. I'm Todd Harrington, and you're listening to the Gray Matters Podcast. Along with my co-host, Tony Hoyland, each episode explores a special guest's lifelong passion. There'll be a bit of nostalgia, but mostly it's our guest's personal story of how they discovered their passion and how it evolved over the years. Welcome to the Gray Matters Podcast. Our guest today is Guy Alma, Director of Development for the Camp Hill School, a school that creates wholeness for children and youth with developmental disabilities through education, extended family living, and therapy so that they may be better understood, fully unfold their potential, and may meaningfully participate in life. Guy combines a background in social science and administration with 17 years of experience working with adolescents with developmental disabilities as house parent, pre-vocational instructor, and high school classroom teacher. He is certified in youth guidance and special education, as well as trained in group work, facilitation, conflict resolution, and organizational development. He has served as Camp Hill Special Schools Director of Development since 1998. Without further ado, Welcome, Guy Alma. Hi, Guy. Uh, hello, Todd. So before we start, Guy, you may hear a, a voice chime in from time to time with brilliance and insight on any subject. <laughs> so please meet my co-host, talent musician and professional voiceover, Tony Hoyland. Tony, say hi to Guy. Hey, Guy. How's it going? Hey, Tony. It's good. <laughs> good to meet you. Good to meet you, Tony. Um, so, wow, Guy. Um, Camp Hill is an amazing organization. Uh, we'll, we'll go into a little bit about Camp Hill, but what, the, the, the point of the, the story of this podcast is to really understand the journey and your passion for helping the disabled. And, and what, where and when were you when this happened? I mean, what, was this something you realized early in life and discovered that this is something you were drawn to? Did you dabble in it a bit, went back and forth, or did you discover this early in life? This was a complete mistake. Ah, wow. <laughs> so uh, I was at college in the UK uh, with a, a lady who grew up um, in one of the Camp Hill places in the UK. And we both had a mutual friend who uh, trained to be a teacher. And after after college, she left to go volunteer in America at this one of these Camp Hill places. And she came back from, you know, for a vacation from the US and came to stay with me in London for a couple of days. I was running a mountaineering and skiing shop right there mm. near Trafalgar Square at the time. And uh, she asked me if I was interested in volunteering, more or less, I think, as a joke. Um, and my life was at a particular point then. My my girlfriend of many years was going off to teach in Singapore. And I had been thinking about going to uh, South America to ski and sail for a year. Um, and instead, I decided to come and volunteer at the school. So that was in 1990. Um, I, you know, I, I was intending, I need to come for a year. 
Uh, I did leave at the end of my first year at the school, but I realized I wasn't going to find another place like that. Um, and that I really, really, you know, wanted to come back and make my life, you know, at the school, which subsequently wow. is what happened. So you literally yeah. stumbled upon this. Uh, um, literally. And, uh, was there a time where you're saying, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on here. I, what was that other career? Or did you feel you were locked in and it just got better and better? Well, so yeah, I think there's a complicated answer to that question, which is, um, mm. you know, if I going back a little bit into sort of my my childhood, um, okay. you know, my father was a white collar trade union organizer. My mother was a secretary, you know, and I grew up in a house in the, the south of England, which was pretty political. You know, it was left leaning. Um, the politics were the politics really of the labor movement. Um, and And my parents, you know, talked politics a lot. So. You know, when I graduated from high school, I went to college to study political science and sociology. At that mm. point, I was really, you know, an avowed atheist, um, but was really passionate, uh, you know, about sort of the condition of humanity. And, I, you know, I think always at the back of my mind, I wanted to do something, you know, when I grew up that would be, um, you know, sort of a value in that in that sphere. So. You know, when I when I came to Camp Hill and spent the year and then, you know, was in Australia kind of looking back on the year that I'd had, you know, it, it, I realized the place was about so much more um, became very special as I began to realize what individuals with developmental disabilities could allow to manifest. And and I, I also realized the place was a social experiment. And that, I think. Um, you know, that's been my passion. So I wouldn't say my passion is serving people with intellectual disabilities and children with intellectual disabilities. I would say that individuals with developmental disabilities have been my colleagues in this experiment that we live in Camp Hill for the past 30 years. Mm. And, and you know, we've been, we've kind of been, <laughs> that's a mutual exploration that we've been doing in, in, you know, how you can think about living and how you can live differently. And so that's been mm. the journey. Oh, I love the social experiment along the way for everyone's learning uh, as well. So, God, do you actually live at the camp? Yeah, I've lived at the school for, for 30 years. That's right. Yeah, I raised, you know, raised my raised two boys here. Um, you know, I met my wife here. Uh, wow. You know, that's married so cool. here. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's been it's been quite the trip. Is there a town nearby? Well, so, the, I mean, there are Camp Hill places, you know, throughout North America and indeed around the world. Um, I mean, each place is, is um, sort of aggressively independent of all others. And yeah, the, so the, the school that I, I live and work at um, has two locations. One is, is kind of more um, remote. The nearest town is probably five or six miles away. Um, I live on our second campus, which is for 18 to 21-year-olds, uh, right outside a little town called Phoenixville, which is very lovely. You got started and obviously took a little while. You, you became a director of development. What was the journey up to that point uh, that got you there? What did you, what did you have to do there? The journey to development director really was that when I met my wife um, and we began um, sort of our courtship, she she's always been into large animals, which is, you know, why we're now living on a 130 acre livestock farm. Um, and at the time she was really passionate about, about horseback riding and had done a horseback riding therapy training. And so she wanted to start up a riding therapy program. So, uh, you know, we were young, we went to the board of directors and they said, well, if you can give us a five-year commitment and raise the money, then, 
you can go ahead and have some horses and run a therapy program at the school. You know, I, I got into development work through that. Uh, and my, you know, I've always since that time, I mean, I'm sort of moving out of that sphere as I as I get older and I'm passing things on to younger people. But, you know, I've always been involved in sort of new projects at the school, the the design of them and, you know, the fundraising around them and, you know, construction management and, you know, um, sometimes subsequently running the projects that we've we've started. So that's been a, that's been an exciting, uh, exciting process to be part of, too. Do you, do you think, I mean, looking at Guy in his 20s or whenever, whenever you began, I mean, how, how how is it different now for you? Are you getting more out of it or has it just been consistent growth? I mean, is it is it just, you know, is, has there any been times that you've struggled with staying in this role? Or, or I mean, I'm just curious how that has evolved uh, in, in your, your passion. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of different questions there. Um, yeah. I think. One at a time. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I wouldn't say, you know, my, I would say I enjoy getting out of bed as much today as I did 30 years ago. The kids that we work with, and for me, that's mostly been teenagers and young adults, uh, are incredibly right. special people. Um, and the people that, you know, live and work with me who, um, you know, are there to really sort of guide and, and, and help those, those children grow are remarkable people too. And so, you know, every day actually is an adventure. Um, and every year is, you know, at the years as they roll by each year is slightly different with a different emphasis and a slightly different change in that, that group of people that you're living and working with. And that's remained consistently kind of exciting to me. It's, it's never gotten dull. In fact, I think one of the things that's been harder as I became more involved in administrative work was actually, you know, being less involved with the, with the sort of the direct, um, relationship with the students the sure. colleagues working with the students although having said that i you know my the, the people i work with in our development office also have become you know i couldn't live without them they're lifelong friends and incredible people too so the hands-on work's always been fun i think the thing that's changed for me um you know is is the awareness really of how special the school is as i've traveled the world um and i've grown to appreciate how special that is and, um, you know, when you're young, you assume that everything is robust and that it lasts forever. And it's kind of easy to criticize and tear things down. And, you know, I now realize not only how beautiful the place is, but how fragile it is. You know, some, sometimes things have lifespans that don't extend automatically for, you know, decades and decades and decades. So sort of the tenuous nature of the beauty of it has made it, I think, even more special to me. I have a question, Guy. Um this may be too personal, so don't answer it if you don't want to, but you mentioned in college you were a, an atheist. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if you're an atheist now. <laughs> well, so the, the whole Camp Hill movement is really predicated on actually spiritual kind of philosophy. So, so as you can imagine, it would, it would be hard to have maintained that position for 30 years. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, really, That's good. and uh, you know, become someone who's sort of, you know, I, I, very involved at the very least in the, the machinations of our, of our community. So um, no, that, that changed for me. And that, that did change quite quickly. Um, you know, when I came to the school, I think that was one of, I hadn't, I didn't notice it happening. Um, but after a couple of years, I kind of woke up one day and I realized that my view on the world had, had really altered, changed quite, you know, quite dramatically. Wow. Well, did you keep it quiet for a while and you just kind of changed on your own? No. I think, <laughs> okay, here comes that guy. Here comes Guy. He's the atheist. No. I, I, uh, think, I think people um, uh, probably it, noticed. It, it, yeah. I think, you know, I think people probably noticed. And it's a place, you know, the place that we're, we, we, you know, 
this community is really about inner growth. Um, you know, and it's it, for, for the, you know, the, the people that I would term co-workers, the you know, staff members, just as much as it is for the children, because you can't, um, I mean, one of the things you realize about the work that we do is that you can't, you, so much of it is asking the children to learn new things and to change yeah. the way that they are. And you really can't expect other people to do that unless you can do that yourself. So that whole, mm -hmm. um, that whole awareness of that inner dynamic is a really important thing here. And so I think I, I, I didn't need to keep it to myself. I think people were probably relieved that it was beginning to happen. You know, 24 year old, the fresh off the fresh off the plane from London with, you know, lots of energy and a lot of bad habits when I arrived and, uh, you know, kind of wild and untamed. And I, I, so, uh, I think it's a miracle actually that, uh, you know, when I called the community back from Australia, they said, sure, come back. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. so, yeah, no, it was, it's been, a, it's been a very slow but steady journey. And, uh, you, you know, the, the place has supported that. I mean, you know, we, we really actively, you know, and having an active sort of meditative life is encouraged here. And there's sort of a fairly, uh, there's a rich set of resources laid out for, you know, inner work and inner development. And, and that's, that also has just been a wonderful wonderful journey hearing you talk about it i mean it it, it kind of sounds perfect i mean it it, sound, it sounds like utopia mm. <laughs> so you know and i think yeah. so the hard thing i so i think my answer to that question would be probably yes i think it is um i think those of us that are sort of living here have to remind ourselves of that fact because of course that goes with you know there's it's it's a utopia that isn't for everybody so <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, I now live in a beautiful little apartment behind a barn, but for 29 years, and, and this was one of the positives about it, um, you know, living, you know, with the students and raising a family, um, you know, in a house with the students during 40 weeks of the of the school year, um, you know, you, you don't have privacy and you, you know, you're with with the other people that are helping you run the house also live in the house. Um, if someone's sick or they're having a tough time, then, you know, that essentially instead of having your own two kids, you've got your own and, you know, five, six, seven others. So you're the, you're the mm. parent and the leader of a team to a, a you know, a crew of people, often, often young volunteers who are coming to help from around the world. Um, so, you know, that I think you have to regard what we do as being mostly, um, mostly living life and not working because, you know, it can be seven days a week and, you know, the, you're, you're active and immersed in it from when you wake up in the morning, whatever time that might be. And sometimes that's very early till, you know, when the day ends. So you, it's not a casual commitment. I think if you can't find the things that you need, you know, that sort of your, the complete package of what you need for your own development in your life in the school, it, it can be a real struggle. And to be yeah. honest, you know, raising children here when they were young, it was the most incredible environment. You know, as they got older and one of the things that they needed from us was our time, my wife and I, you know, that that time is the resource that really is most precious for us. It's the thing we have least of, um, you know, so, you know, I mean, looking back on the way that we raised our boys, I mean, I, I love my boys. I'm proud of my boys. In, in some respects, I wouldn't change a thing, but I would have spent, I would have think I'd have carved out a different time for them in their adult years. You know, we were very passionate about what we did and I was raising money for this big new project, um, you know, for four or five of, of the years when they were, uh, you know, entering their, their teenage times. And 
in retrospect, I should, probably should have been around more than I was. But I think like every everywhere else, you know, life is a it's a set of choices, which and you either look back on it and you 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 nailed them, or or some of them you you know you wish you could do over. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I was wondering about your kids, and you just answered that. That must be an interesting environment to grow up in. Um, as you said, more so when they're younger, it's more challenging when they get older. But is it because it's like, I guess I get the impression there was no really punching out on the clock. I mean, you could, in the middle of the night, anything could happen. Um, but basically it was, a, uh, are you on the whole time, uh, for, if truly? But even though you try to take a break to sleep, but you could be called to do something in the middle of the night. Is that true? Or is you they give you your space? Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's true. I mean, it's not as, you know, I mean, it, it's not onerous. And, you know, when things are going smoothly, it's, uh, you know, it's no different than any other life. So, um, mm. you know, and of course, as you get older and you have all the experience at this, things become easier and easier and easier. And, um, you know, things tend to run more smoothly. So, yeah, no, but it's it's good. <laughs> I, I would say looking back on it, I think, you know, both of my boys enjoyed growing up here. I think they, they took a lot from it. Um, sure, they're really gifted. Um you know, if they were to do this work, they would be really gifted at it. You know, they both uh -huh. got went on to do other things, but um, yeah. But but it, I I think it's for them. It's it was a really important experience, and it's part of you know made them who they are today. And and I say I'm very proud of both of them. Well, it's interesting because I you know teenagers particularly is a challenging time and. Looking at you being studying humanity, how, how did your boys differ through the teenage years? Very different from some of the, the students at Camp Hill. It's probably an interesting experiment for you to observe of the differences because those teen, teen years are complicated. Well, you know, I, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And I think one of the things that is remarkable about, you know, sort of watching your own kids grow and watch them go through um, you know, sort of the more you know, air quotes, typical um, sort of neurological and social development is, mm. you know, it, it provided a really good kind of benchmark for, for also seeing where some of our students were in those adolescent years, because, you know, teenagers naturally become, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of rebel and they have that, you know, the chaos that ensues when sort of the Sure. You know, there's this rich feeling life that emerges and teenagers really don't know what to do with it. You know, as the sort of the hormones kick in and that teenage personality really begins to develop. And and my boys had that in spades. And it was interesting to see that. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things that some of our students don't go through on their own. Right. And so, you know, realizing that or, or they go through it on their own and they really, you know, maybe also, you know, having severe autism and, and not not really able to communicate or understand what's happening internally. And then, right. you know, that sort of having a snowball effect in, in terms of behaviors. So, you know, most teenagers are very, very unskilled at kind of vocalizing what's going on. And, and you know, for some of our students, <laughs> you know, that capacity is even more reduced. I mean, I think the increment of change, if I think about it, teenagers, I'm just blown away by, you know, personally, watching our kids and, and the changes in such a short period of time. And with your students, as you indicate, it's hard to communicate. The increments are, are celebrated. They're much smaller, perhaps, as they, but it's more rewarding to watch when your your teachers are getting the, he, or, he or she to do something that may take a teenager, you know, be easy, but it's like really a, a, a difficult process, but it's more rewarding. 
see the results. Yeah, often I think in our case, it's a question of how do you, how do you figure out what's needed and set appropriate challenges so that so that there is this um, growth through sort of testing of personal boundaries and um, you know that that's uh, that's been an interesting thing to to sort of work with over the years um, because it's important that that teenagers you know are able to kind of expand their comfort zone and overcome challenges and wrestle with the difficulty and the awkwardness and yeah it's is the school big in like I feel like with the your students is it is there kind of a goal setting mentality where you you really set out a on a project or a chore and the teachers are very focused on little milestones and things like that is is that how the school functions in that way or is it just I mean I'm just curious how the development process goes. Well, I'd say different strokes for different folks. I mean, you know, it mm. it may be that. Um, you know, someone has a very basic challenge to learn to communicate or to learn to dress themselves, you know, I mean, that, you know, and then that's small incremental um, sort of change that builds up to competencies over time. You know, we also have people that are, you know, incredibly um, sort of capable and, and that then, you know, lends itself more to, you know, to projects and developing skill sets. I mean, you know, here at the farm, it's, a, you know, as I say, I live on a 130-acre farm. It's an operating livestock farm. We have, you know, beef and pork and, and we grow, uh, we grow lamb and we have our own greenhouses for salad stuffs. We have a commercial cut flower operation here. You know, there's three, three or four miles of pathways through the woods to maintain and, you know, estates to trees to plant. And so our students actually, you know, we, we have students that actually become, you know, really good husbandmen in terms of working with the animals or, you know, really sensitive to um, plant life and, and able to actually work in a greenhouse and, you know, seed and transplant and plant. Um, we have other students that just, you know, have an abundance of energy and are able to, you know, work incredibly hard to, you know, lay, you know, half a mile of wood chips in a week with a wheelbarrow and a shovel. So, yeah. so I think it's um, those sorts of journeys. But then also, um, you know, it's really important just that I think the, the, again, the sort of the inner journey. So, I mean, outside of COVID times, we spend a lot of time not being at the school, uh, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's, you know, field trips up to the Met in New York City or into, you know, the Philadelphia Museum of Art or, you know, <laughs> tracing the source of the Delaware River, you know. I mean, a lot of getting out and seeing things and doing things. Um, and I think we see the curriculum not as a fixed entity and by the way we use an adapted version of the curriculum that the the people that have heard of the Waldorf school movement were a member of that and we adapt that curriculum but we see the curriculum really as sort of food you know not nutrition and you know you need to reach into the cupboard and pick out the right ingredients for the right student and the right group of students it's not a we don't it's not the same thing every year yeah which so there's, there's never really, you never really repeat. I mean, there's elements that become familiar that you can sort of, you know, have in your toolkit. But um, yeah, the, the, there's, there's, never a, there's never a right way to do things. There's only the, the way that you need to do things now. You know, I thought about the teachers and the people that work with you, for you at Camp Hill. It's obviously a unique individual. Do you have uh, turnover a lot at the school, or you most of your teachers have been there for years, if not decades? We have. It's very, very low turnover. I mean, um, 
We have a lot of young international volunteers that come to us for a year that live and work in, in our, in our houses. They, um, you know, they do just, they're just the most beautiful, wonderful people. And they come and, and sort of uh, give of their time and live alongside the students and celebrate, you know, life with us. Um, those volunteers, you know, they, they're, they're here to get an experience, um, and to see a different life and, you know, to experience America in many cases as well and travel a little bit while they're here. So, you know, those people are here for a year, but often the year that they have is kind of foundational. And over the years, many of them have stayed in touch with the school. Um, for people that are here longer, um, people tend to stay, you know, for a, a long period of time. And it's not unusual for people to be at the school for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So um, the, the community is pretty stable um, in, in terms of its in terms of its members. I mean, one of the things that we also do because we have this particular approach, which is called curative education, um, we run a four-year training um, in curative education, which people, again, people from around the world come for that four-year training because it's the only training that's currently available in that in the English language. So, um, so we have a lot of students that will come here for four years, do an internship for a year with us, and then, uh, you know, go on into the world. Um, you know, and some of them come just with a high school diploma and through our training and then some college completion, they're able to sort of leave us with not only our own training, but with a, with a degree. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a, you know, it's a, a quite a big part of what we do is actually training people to do the work. And then they're going all over the world again and, and kind of spreading what we do. So, you know, that's, it's a part of what we do, but I think, you know, in terms of the, the mission of the school, it's a very important part of what we do. I'm, I'm assuming this answer is different from every single kid, but what happens when the school ends? I mean, do you help them with placement? What, what, what happens after the school? So, um, you know, for, for education funding, special education funding is mandated. It's an entitlement. Um, once you graduate, once you turn 21, there is the system, you know, Basically, it's it's one sort of silo of money, um, which provides both for you know elder care, and for you know sort of long term services and supports for individuals with developmental disabilities. So, you know, if you think about CMS, you know, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, they're basically funding this huge pool of people, and there is not enough money to go around. So, um, many of our students having the highest need level. Um, go into group homes. Um, others of them go into, uh, you know, Camp Hill places like, like Triform, uh, which is a, a Camp Hill for, mm -hmm. you know, uh, young, young adults. And sometimes they move on there into um, other Camp Hill places for adults. And there are intentional communities like um, Camp Hill living with people with disabilities around the country. Uh, so often in the world, people go home, they call that natural supports. They go live with their parents because they can't get funding and they can't get placement elsewhere. The yeah. employment rate for people that have, you know, profound disabilities, um, you know, if you have more severe forms of autism, for example, um, you know, the employment rate look, looks like the unemployment rate for the, you know, the sort of yeah. the typically developed population. So. Um, yeah, if you have intellectual disabilities, it, you know, it's unlikely that you're going to have a full-time job and it's, it's unlikely even that you're going to have a part-time job. Um, 
so you know there's a tremendous amount of work to be done in this area and and there's a lot of um been a lot of political upheaval some of the developments of late um have not been helpful in terms of being able to develop new communities like you know camp hill that address some of the problems in the more traditional ways that camp hill has addressed them because there's a massive move to push everybody back into either very small group homes or, or living you know independently in the community with supports and uh, for people that have really high support needs, that model often is a, uh, you know, it works for some, but it doesn't work for all. And when it doesn't work, the results are pretty tragic. So, um, so you know, school is, is uh, sadly, sometimes parents will say, you know, to me 10 or 20 years later that their years at, at you know, at Campbell School were the best years they've ever had. And, you know, there isn't a teacher in the world that wants to hear that school's supposed to be a foundational experience not a peak experience so you know that's something that um you know i think we all worry about here we're preparing people often for a future that really isn't there for them um and that's a tragedy because it doesn't need to be that way and as i say that would be a whole nother um and and it's it's complicated it's economic it's political (laughs) it's it's to do with you know really really passionately felt and well-meaning advocacy that um, just for a, a small percentage of people has, you know, it, it, it just has been applied in the wrong way, but overall is a good thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a complicated situation, but I, but one that I think would be relatively easy to fix at least legislatively so that you can get the law out of the way of developing the things that are needed. Um, anyway, so I, I don't, yeah. <laughs> so do you, do you get, you find yourself drifting into that as much getting involved in policies or I know you're director of development for Camp Hill, but are you trying to get up there, dare I say, to the, to Washington or, or, or do some campaigning, lobbying for, we, it? Is, is, are you involved in that? Well, we're, yes. I mean, we're, um, you know, I'm c- certainly uh, tangentially involved in, in keeping those efforts going and working with parents who are passionate about it. I mean, as such, the school doesn't lobby, um, you know, but we're aware of what the issues are and, and, and happy to, you know, talk to parents and advocates and policymakers about those things when our opinions are asked. Um, we do have a policy research committee that, you know, is, tries to keep abreast of all of this stuff. And, and of course, you know, we, it's, again, a complicated system because, uh, you know, you're dealing with federal regulations, certainly in terms of areas like, you know, Medicare and Medicaid services. Um, but those fed, federal regulations then are interpreted, you know, locally on a state by state level and every state's got different regs so um you know it's a it's it's not it's not straightforward yes i spend probably more time than i would like thinking about this stuff what has this passion taught you the most how has it helped you guys an individual outside of the school uh just you as a person well you know so you know go go back again to sort of my my orientation as a as a young young fellow just out of college was that sometimes I was uh, sort of angry about the, the, the shape that the world was in and the way that people treated one another. Um, and, you know, the, the schools really be, you know, I mean, there's, it, it is a social experiment on so many levels. I mean, it's an economic experiment. It's sort of an experiment in, in shared agreements and, and, you know, people from all around the world and with all different capacities all being able to live together. Um, you know, and it's, it's sort of a thought experiment in terms of education as well. And, you know, we we're, we're stewards of between the two campuses, you know, 250 acres of beautiful, you know, countryside in Chester County. And so, 
you know, that if, if I think about the world that we live in today and I think about what it must be like to actually be a teenager now, you know, where you've got, you know, the climate crisis and we've got, you know, this tremendous polar political polarization and, you know, economic disparity and, you know, the, all of the, you know, the issues that are, are really kind of front and center, the issues around, you know, um, around racism and, you know, we're, we're immersed in all of this turmoil. And I think it can be really um, kind of discouraging because the problems are so large. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've realized that's that's very beautiful about, you know, I, I think so much of our human life in general, but particularly this community where I live is that, you know, I might not be, any, be able to do anything about those things on a global scale, but as a community of, you know, 300 plus people living on this beautiful land, we can do something about it every day here and yeah. we can do something about it in such a way that when people come and visit us, they can see that we're doing something. And so I think, you know, what I get out of it is that I think, you know, very small groups of people can prototype their best answers to the problems by through practical work, through, through seeing that, you know, you, I don't think that greatness is found in, you know, going off and doing fantastic things. Where the really the, be the most beautiful battles are, where the real victories are to be won, it is in, in the mess of our ordinary life. I mean, that's, sure. that's what needs to change. And, you know, and, and I think that's, you know, that's, it's a hard thing to, to come to understand. But I think once you've understand it, then, you know, you can, it transforms your life, knowing that it's that, it's that stuff that is the stuff that, is the most important. And, um, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think my, my, my learning personally, I think is that I can, you know, every day when you wake up and you go to work, you're either adding to that or you're taking away from it, you know, with who you are and what you do. And I think we all do a, we all do a bit of both, you know? Um, but, but I hope over the long haul, you know, we're as individuals able to add more than we kind of detract. So, yeah, I think there's a tremendous amount of hope. Uh, but I, I, I think we just got to kind of roll up our sleeves and get to work, you know, where we can, where we live with the people that are surrounding us and the, the problems that are right in front of us. I found what I love to do. Um, and I found the place where I love doing it. And, you know, that you're, you're, I mean, I think the growth is not necessarily going to be in size now. I mean, I think we are one of the challenges that, you know, I face in my life is how to relate to, you know, the younger generations that are coming through um, and wanting to take on this work and wanting to live this life and a different set of expectations. And really, I mean, you know, I, I think <laughs> all of us sort of, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 55, which, you know, I feel young still, but, um, you know, I, it, I compare myself to some of the young people that we have. And, you know, I, I recognize that I'm a bit of a dinosaur. I mean, they're so much more cosmopolitan. Um, you know, the, the sort of the, the life of feeling and the respect for the life of feeling for one another is, is really something that's incredibly, you know, vibrant and strong. You know, whereas I think my generation, we were like, you know, here's the job. You just get it done. Yeah. You know, if you break yeah. doing it, you know, try and be quiet about it along the way, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, they, there's such a richness in what they bring, but there's such a sensitivity too. So I think it's, how do we, 
I think it's a general question for the world as well. It's, it's certainly a question for us with, 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 with work and life that is as demanding as our life. How do you build, uh, you know, a sort of or evolve the forms of the community so that it can take account of, you know, the, the next generation of people that are here to do the work. So I really see the next sort of 15 or 20 years of my life as being a, a handing on of the things that are important, um, you know, and, and trying to support people to take those ingredients and, and work with them in their way. You know, I think it was Marla, right, that said it, you know, we shouldn't be worshipping the ashes. It's the, it's the candle that's important. <laughs> and uh yeah so so i think i think about how this goes on into the future and if it goes on into the future and that ultimately you know that's not going to be up to me and it, it it's very precious to me so how can i help i mean that's i think the right. the uh that's going to be the focus i mean i've learned i realize i have learned a lot i always thought i didn't know much and i'm realizing now that i do um and you know how do you how do you use that that wisdom so that it's not lost and so that people people can build on it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gray Matters Podcast with Guy Alma. Please rate and review and be sure to tell your friends too. For more information about Guy's Camp Hill community or about Camp Hill in North America, go to their website at camphillfoundation.org. And for more information about the Gray Matters podcast, go to thegraymatters.org. And please subscribe to the Gray Matters wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to thank my guest, Guy Alma, my co-host, Tony Hoyland, and a special thanks to you, the listener. I'm Todd Harrington. Until next time.